So, do you want to be wealthy? Hey, I got an idea for you to try this. You know, our potential for wealth is not shown in our bank account as much as it is in the attitude of our heart. Give generously and wealth of all kinds will start to move toward you. Now, this is the end of the year. We're right here at the holidays. Uh, This is a great time to be looking forward to what we want the next year to be and to be planning for that, certainly. But sometimes these little adjustments are right under our nose that can change dramatically the way our lives are going. So I've got just a couple questions today. We're going to make it a short episode, and then I got a couple of short stories to emphasize the importance of gratitude. So grab your cup of tea, as always, get ready. We're going to go through some practical advice, these inspiring stories, valuable resources to help you maximize your opportunities. So we're going to jump right in after just a couple messages from our supporting sponsors. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Let's jump right into this. Our quotation today comes, it's an old Estonian proverb that says, Who does not thank for little will not thank for much. Now, we've seen that played out in so many ways. I'm sure you got stories of your own about that. Resource is 48days.com slash acres, A-C-R-E-S. 48days.com acres. Now, that's the old story, one of my favorite stories about a Persian merchant who, after hearing about diamonds being found in the high mountains, he sold his little farm, went off in search of the riches that diamonds would bring him. And then the story takes kind of an unusual unusual twist as the location of the diamonds unfolds. So a great story. It, it's, it's a free download. Just go there. If you're already a subscriber, I think it asks for your email address. It won't give you a duplicate on that. Just go ahead and get past that. It'll give you instant access to the download of that. So 48days.com slash acres. Great little story that I continue to enjoy. Well, I know that right now, you know, it's, it can be a challenging time. I mean, with downsizings and reorganizations, and we're hearing about quiet quitting, quiet firing, uncertain real estate markets. I mean, it may appear to be kind of a bleak holiday season. We always hear that, though. You know, no matter how good or bad things are, people get concerned around the holidays. I mean, a, a lady recently shared that she had been on the receiving end of a cost containment exercise. Now, you know what that means. She got fired, but they told her it was a cost containment exercise, so they didn't have to use the negative word, gee, you're fired. Another uh, another lady, again, related that she'd been given the grace of interruption. Boy, is that a very pleasant sound, too. We don't need you anymore. You've been given the grace of interruption. Great sounding terms for unexpected change. But this is a great time to be anticipating the beginning of a new year. You hear me talk often about, you know, all beginnings are hopeful. Certainly that. And then back in 1937, Napoleon Hill wrote in the original edition of Think and Grow Rich, he talked about the Depression. And he said the 1929 Depression was a blessing in disguise. Now, a lot of people wouldn't have seen it as that, certainly, going through that. I mean, I remember my parents talking about how rough that was. But it reduced the world to a kind of a new starting point. And new starting points always give us a new opportunity. Now, I doubt that a lot of people going through the Depression saw it as a blessing, but it did give rise to thousands of new ventures, 
fresh vocational direction for a whole lot of people. So this is a great week right here in Thanksgiving week to give thanks for things, for people, events in your life. Recognize the wealth you have in relationships, health, beautiful surroundings, spiritual hope. No matter what's happening in your job right now, I mean, approach the new year as a new beginning. And maybe now's the time to simply give thanks for a new opportunity. Now, here's a note I got. And again, it's a little discouraging, but I want you to think through what this lady's possibilities are. Jill says, I'm 33 years old and have nothing to show for it. Nine years after college, I have no job, no career, just a couple of useless degrees. I studied fashion design, then graphic design. I've had around five jobs in that time, lasting six months each. The jobs I've had have all been crappy. The people in all of them were hateful and toxic. I'm starting to think the typical workplace isn't for me. All the doors seem shut for me. I still don't know if I have any talent. I'm starting to doubt my self-worth. I've read your books, but nothing has clicked yet. I really can't seem to get a job, not even a crappy job. What do I do? Well... Jill, let's be brutally honest here. I mean, all the jobs you've had have been crappy and all the people you've worked with were hateful and toxic. I mean, when we look at the common denominator across such a broad set of situations like that, there's one common denominator and that is you. Now, happiness and contentment are very much an inner game, not just a result of circumstances. If your happiness depends on the circumstances around you, you're, you're always going to be vulnerable. I mean, become a person that people want in their team. I know this may sound like just lip service and difficult to do, but you can do this. I mean, become a, a happy, enthusiastic person. Smile readily. Compliment other people on their work. Ask people about their interest and then listen intently. I mean, the quality of your work will improve and other companies will be recruiting you. You know, true, ultimately, you have to be able to produce the work, produce work that has value. And whether you do that as an employee, a freelancer, or sitting on the street doing caricatures is not important. The key is that you're able to produce something that people will pay for. I'm going to send you a fresh copy of the latest version of 48 Days to the Work You Love. I mean, I talk a lot in there about becoming a person of value, that that's 85% of the process. Become a person that people want to have around having degrees or specific skills or training is maybe that additional 15%, but it's a smaller part of the whole equation of, are you a person that people want to have around? Now here's another note that I got just the day before this one from Terry who says, hi Dan, reading 48 days gave me a desperately needed attitude adjustment toward my work and life in general. I started giving an extra 110%, all while focusing on the great aspects of my job instead of the toxic negativity, which had affected all areas of my life. Shortly thereafter, I unexpectedly received a 10% off-season raise. My manager said that I was bringing a lot of value to the project and I deserved a boost. Three months later, I received a stellar performance review with an additional 5% pay raise. Thanks for sharing your words of wisdom to help me turn my life around. Now, here we have the same job, same boss. What changed? Terry did. Don't like your circumstances? Change yourself and watch your circumstances change as well. Now, this 
this again, this is a time of year, you know, when a lot of people are feeling the financial pinch. There are parties to go to, uh, gifts to be purchased. I, I read an article. This was in a magazine that's um, no longer in print. I, I wish it were. I, I kept old, old copies. It was titled The Intelligent Optimist. And I, I love the magazine. But, you know, unfortunately, good news doesn't sell as well as bad news. And they had a hard time staying alive. But the article was titled No Limitations. And in it, the author described a Benado community in Paraguay in which there was no health care, no potable water, no sanitation, and just abject poverty. In 1988, there was a priest named Padre Pedro Falasco who met with 20 women there in a chapel. They described their situation and their need for food, for jobs, for medicine, for safety. He asked them why they were poor. Now, it was easy for them to relate that it was just their situation. There's nothing there in the community. But he helped them understand that poverty is caused. It isn't just simply a fact of life and based on our circumstances. So, we want to do an insert here. Two days ago, I got a long message from a mid-20s lady. I'm going to call her Mary. I'm not going to give her real name. Not from the ghetto in Paraguay, but from the fine state of North Carolina. She's going to school part-time and lives with her parents in a trailer for which they pay $150 a month. Her parents are both drawing disability. There's literally no food in the house until the next disability check arrives. Mary's grandmother is in a similar situation and deeply in debt. But Mary informed me that she has no expertise, training, or knowledge in anything. She doesn't have money to put gas in her dad's car. There's no jobs anyway. And she's not interested in working while attending school because that's just too much trouble for me. Okay, switch again. Today, that little community in Paraguay, they have health care. They have paved streets, fresh water. There are 600 families that are paying $2 a month each to belong to their own little association. They went together and now they have nutrition, education, community radio station. There are food sellers. There are people who raise animals, clothes vendors, pharmacy services. They're not, they were not the recipients of foreign aid or a casino or they didn't win the lottery, but somebody had the courage to let them know poverty is caused. It's an internal game. It's not a fact of life. Okay, so now Mary, who's struggling so, living with her parents who are both on disability and a trailer, boom, She's too, she doesn't, doesn't want to work because she's going to school. Well, I, I wrote her a lengthy reply, and I'm just going to share a couple of things here out of that. Thanks for your, and I do, I respond to these, these, kind, of, these kind of stories. Believe me, they uh, touch my heart. I want to help people change their situations, and I think you can always do that. Well, always. I, I said, Mary, thanks for your willingness to share your story. You describe a pretty unfortunate and unhappy scenario. I don't have a magic pill to make all that better, but I don't believe circumstances can hold us down. Ultimately, our success springs from attitude, optimism, faith, and positive action to do something that others may say can't be done. You can't change your parents or grandparents, but you can show them you're not going to get caught in that same pattern. You say you're in school and don't want to work full-time. I would suggest school is maybe not the best use of your time right now. It's a very slow process with a very unclear benefit. I mean, the story I shared just a minute ago was a 
guy who has multiple degrees and no job. The, the degrees don't change the situation if you don't change you. Anyway, I said, Mary, you should be able to define your skills and abilities, your personality traits, your values, dreams, and passions, and from those, be able to see where you can provide unique value to an organization. I mean, I'm confident there are companies right now who are looking for people who are clear in what value they bring to an organization. I'd take that step immediately to break this family pattern, this family cycle of looking for assistance externally and being convinced circumstances are holding you back. I mean, you don't do that. I mean, just yesterday here at our place, Joanna and I had our delightful young gal who comes every two weeks. Her name is Nellie, and she does a beautiful job of cleaning our house. She does things to make our sink look brand new. I don't know what in the world she does, and the house smells so fresh and clean. It's just delightful. There are patterns on the on the carpet and on the couch because of the direction she goes with the vacuum cleaner. It's just really cool. It just looks gorgeous when she's finished. I actually talked to her. I told her I didn't think I was paying her enough recently, and uh, she very graciously accepted that. But uh, she's cleaning houses. I don't know what kind of degrees she has. I don't know what her family history is. It doesn't matter. She has one clear skill that she has just refined, and she's doing very, very well. She drives a really gorgeous car, and um, she's talking about bringing on a couple other ladies to help her where she would train them and be able to expand. And I assured her that we would help get her referrals to increase dramatically the number of customers she has here in the community where we live. Boom. Just that simple. Now, you don't have to do that, but do something. I mean, I, I had a lady one time came to me. This was years ago in Nashville, Tennessee, and her husband had walked out on her. She had four small children and her marketable skills in terms of being able to go get a job at that time would have been, you know, ten, twelve dollars an hour. Um, that wasn't going to work. And I said, well, you got to come up with something, you know, more creative than that, just getting a job. So under my directions, we came up with a little plan. She went to Walmart and bought a bucket and a squeegee and started going up and down the businesses there on Nolensville Road in Nashville, if you know, happen to know Nashville, that's just unlimited number of businesses and cleaning their windows wasn't difficult to get jobs and she would take a couple kids with her and she found that effectively she could earn 40 to $50 an hour in doing that. She did that for four months and then had so much confidence in what she could do and her belief that she could do something creative. And she came up with her own little business that she moved into very, very effectively. When we moved down here to, to Florida three years ago, I put a, a little ad out and Facebook Marketplace and a couple other places, Craigslist, that I was looking for a yard beauty manager. I described that we wanted somebody who, you know, this wasn't going to be a full-time job by any means, but it was somebody who would come by a couple hours a week and just make our yard beautiful. Somebody who would really understand plants and flowers and uh, make our yard really stand out. Uh, and I had uh, 12 responses to that. I interviewed personally four people and I hired a young guy. Name was Gabe, and he became our yard beauty manager. I mean, again, I have no idea what his academic background was. I do know some of his story at this point because we've become friends, and he shares a lot of things about his background. Pretty interesting. Actually, he was a trust fund baby, meaning that he was uh, had everything provided for him. He could buy any kind of sports car he wanted to do, live anywhere, tra- travel anywhere, 
And he, he did that until he was 42 years old. And then he had an uncle, his grandfather died, his grandfather had set up the trust fund, and he had an uncle set, step in and somehow legally found a way to unwind the trust. And all of a sudden he was confronted with this thing called reality and had to come up with some way to provide his own income. Real, really interesting guy. So he discovered something that he could do, something that he enjoyed doing, and just turned it into his own little business. Now, this I, I want to just, uh, well, you know what? I'm going to just take a break here for a minute, come back with a couple other little stories here, and we'll just wrap things up. So instead of starting another one, you know, I, I was raised in a home where we didn't expect to get out of poverty. We, we kind of accepted God's will for us as being poverty. You know, as a, as a pastor, my dad was even kind of suspicious of the dangers of having money. Well, obviously, I've done a lot of study and worked through that over the years to try to come up with better way to view that whole thing and knowing that we can enjoy abundance if we're serving others in a very meaningful way. Well, hey, anyway, the break there, just to remind you that these are real-life questions. Again, I value them so much that you all send in. Thank you for that. Continue doing that. You can just go to 48days.com slash askdan and uh, send in your questions there, your success stories, like a lot of them we hear here as well. Send those in, 48days.com slash askdan. And if I use your question here, of course, I'm going to send you an autographed copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love or something else of your repeat like a lot of you are, send you something else as well. And we'll be back right after these messages from our sponsors with a couple more short stories. Now, here's a, here's a story that really comes from a couple of years ago when Joanne and I had been down here in Florida and we were looking at houses. Well, we, we really weren't in a position at that point to buy anything, but we were down here just looking, knowing that ultimately we may consider something down here. So we were enjoying, you know, the fresh seafood, the sun, and even the the gentle rains in the afternoon that time of year. Um, so we just started looking at houses. You know, we on Sunday there we visited ten open houses just to become more familiar with the area. And one of those houses turned out to be the house. You know how that goes. I mean, it had an office for me, an art studio for Joanne. It was just too perfect. Now again, we were not prepared actually make a purchase. But the house was just so perfect. It was just like, oh my gosh, we could really be thrilled being here. So the next morning I called a mortgage broker. Now, this is somebody that I know back in um, Tennessee. So rather than putting us in the queue for a response in a week or two, you know, I told him, I said, man, we're down here for, you know, just a couple of days. I need a response on this. We want to buy this house. So he shifted all of his efforts on our behalf. Now, knowing this request defied all common sense financial principles, I I proposed a really creative way for this to happen. And I pushed for a way to make it work. He had his team go through all our paperwork, explore multiple options. I mean, every hour or so, he'd ask for additional information, give me an update. I wanted to be able to finalize this deal while we were down here. You know, 24 hours after my initial request, he called me with the bad news. There was just no way in the world to make it work under the terms I was requesting. Now, he apologized profusely, expressed his regret that he was not going to be able to help me. So the next morning, I sent him and his team a beautiful selection of Eskenazi chocolates. 
Now that's something I use as a just a special gift a lot of a lot of times. Askenosi chocolate, you can check it out. But I know he makes his commission on a completed loan. I mean, I hadn't paid him anything for what he did, but we so appreciated his work and immediate response. Two days later, I got a really tender video message from this mortgage broker in which he shared. He said, I've never gotten a gift before when I wasn't able to help someone. This is the first time ever to get a gift like that. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd. So out of curiosity, I asked in a test, text, I asked how long he's been in the mortgage business. He replied, 21 plus years. And I thought, really? He invested his time, his resources, his team's valuable time, his 21 years of expertise, and yet not one person had expressed gratitude in a tangible way in that period of time, unless the response was in their favor. Now, it seems like such a simple idea. Someone works on our behalf and we show gratitude. Our character remains consistent, whether it's raining or the sun is shining. I mean, whether the apparent results are in our favor or not, we get to choose positive qualities regardless of the circumstances. Things like honesty, dignity, contentment, kindness, persistence, wisdom, self-control, justice, courage, gratitude. I mean, when we invest in relationships, we're building up a recession-proof account that can be drawn on any time in the future. Now, in these next couple of weeks, here in the holidays, we're going to see the very best and the very worst of people around us. I mean, you may have that one aunt who always sees the negative in situations. It's too cold, too hot. The politicians don't know what they're doing. The sweet potatoes are not prepared their way, right way. And it just goes on and on. And then there's someone who always sees the positive side of things. Someone who's grateful for every little thing they have, loves how the temperature this time of year is perfect. Now, you know who you'd rather spend time with. It's those little deposits, though, that turn the tide on things that can become big situations. Now, I'm working right now on the 25th anniversary edition of 48 Days to the Work You Love. came out in 2000. I update it every five years, so I'm now working on what will be the 2025 edition. Years ago, way back then, when I signed that first book contract, I mean, the book went on very quickly to become a New York Times bestseller. Um, continues to do very, very well. But over time, that original publisher that I had went through some really major changes and it became clear that the book no longer fit really the direction they were going. They were a publisher that was at one time um, putting out four to 500 titles every year. And then in their changes, they got down to where they wanted to produce 35 titles in a very particular niche. So 40 Days of the Work You Love just really didn't fit. And I was concerned about how this was going to play out. So I met with them and requested that I get the rights back that would allow me to move forward still using that title because that's really the core of my work. It's not just one book title that I happen to have. It's the core of my work. Now, over those years of working with the publisher, there were a lot of frustrations, which is true of any publisher uh, out there, I think. But, uh, you know, there were things that I wasn't real thrilled about, but I was always respectful. So here I was now asking for the rights to my book back. That was a big deal with me. After three months of waiting and anticipating maybe an expensive buyout offer, 
And I was already kind of playing out in my mind, how much would I be willing to pay to get the rights to that back? I knew the stories from other authors and trying to get the rights to their books back. This was a big deal. And I knew that. I pulled a lot of data. I went through it. And um, I was ready to ready to confront what their response was going to be. After three months of waiting, I got this note from the publisher. Quote, although this is not typically a request we'd grant, or that there's any contractual requirement for us to do so, I've pulled a lot of data, thought through it, and ultimately decided that if you do indeed want the rights back to all editions, we will grant that request, end quote. She went on to say that it was based on the relationship we had for all those years because of the courtesy with which I'd always interacted with them. The payoff of that decision is incalculable. Now, I trust you're reaping the positive results today, the rewards of the emotional deposits you've made over the years. I mean, I don't know of anything that has a more guaranteed return. Showing gratitude, just showing gratitude and the doors that that opens. You know, my wife, Joanne, spends time each week writing thank you notes to many people who are connected to her in some way. Her natural Generosity attracts others who want to give, and her gratitude is expressed in a multitude of ways that may or may not include writing a check. I mean, giving doesn't have to be a material thing. It could be a flower, a compliment, word of encouragement, sitting with someone in grief or sadness, mowing someone's yard, writing a note to share your thankfulness for that person's friendship. Those are all things that are ways to express gratitude. You know, people often ask me, about what kind of personal habits I have that have contributed to success. And I tell them there's nothing that's contributed more to my success than what I do in the first 90 minutes of every day. I mean, what I do in that time sets the stage for the day that I'm going to have. I'm normally in bed by 9.30, awake at 5.30. That's pattern that I like. I haven't used an alarm in many, many years. I simply wake up when I'm fully rested. But when I get out of bed, I drop to the floor. I do some stretches for about five minutes. I get out of the bedroom because Joanne typically doesn't get up early. And then the next 10 minutes or so, I walk around the house looking out the windows for the first signs of the sunrise, see the early morning rabbits, the deer, the squirrels, the birds, you know, that are around here. Just a couple of days ago, I saw a beautiful little bobcat. And I express gratitude aloud for the life that I have. Express gratitude. Then I head outside to walk the common road in our community. It's a 3.7-mile loop around our neighborhood. And I sometimes I do silent walking. I just walk and just listen to nature coming alive. Sometimes I, I use a meditation podcast of some kind. You know, that's the way I start my day. You know, recently I was I went in, had some um, lab tests done, just some blood work done. Anyway, I was reclining on a, probably like a massage table, I guess, to get the blood work done. And then I got up and left. Well, I got a text immediately from the nurse who had worked with me that a little stone had apparently fallen out of my pocket. And uh, she would put it in an envelope, have it at the front desk for me. Well, I got her text. I was just a mile or so down the road. So I turned around and went back and went up and uh, talked to the, the, the lady who was a receptionist. And there were five nurses standing behind there, behind me. And I said, I just got a message that I have a little stone that was left here. Well, they held it up in a little plastic bag so everybody could see it. It's a little tiger's eye. It's a really beautiful, beautiful stone. But anyway, it's just a little stone that I carry in my pocket. 
And I explained to them that this is my gratitude stone that I carry in my pocket every day, 365 days a year. And it just reminds me every time I reach in my pocket during the day and touch that little stone to express gratitude. Well, they were blown away. And I ended up in a a lengthy conversation with them about that practice, but it seemed to really impact them. Just the idea of having something remind you to express gratitude. Well, hey, let's wrap it up here. There's just so many benefits of expressing gratitude for the person or me or for you, you know, the person expressing the gratitude, improved well-being, you know, reduced stress. I mean, that's something that I have to have to watch because I tend to push hard. My functional medicine doctor says I'm like a guy on the road doing 100 miles an hour, but I'm in third gear and the engine's at 6,500 RPM. I'm always running hot like that. I have to do things to really slow things down, to cool me down. And gratitude is one of those things that does that. It reduces stress. Certainly we know it enhances relationships, gives you a more positive outlook, improves mental health, um, increased motivation. My goodness, I could go on and on. I mean, better physical health. I really think that it contributes to how I feel, gives us enhanced resilience and just a, a greater happiness, life satisfaction. I mean, all those things are things that are benefits of just expressing gratitude. So I hope it's been encouraging. This is a, a time of the year to be expressing gratitude. To give it out. Don't be concerned about how it ends up. It's going to be doing all these things. It's going to have benefits for you no matter what, how it lands on those around you. But be somebody who is that kind of person who is positive, who expresses gratitude, shares generously, gives generously. If you're struggling financially, look for ways that you can give generously that don't, don't include money itself. Kind word, a smile, helping somebody out. I mean, those are all kinds of things that are going to be appreciated even if you can't write a big check. doesn't matter. Well, be that kind of person. Share this podcast with somebody who needs a little encouragement. Anticipate enjoying this time of year as we are getting ready to roll into a new year. Boy, what how exciting is that? And stay committed to your belief without a shadow of a doubt that we can find or create work and a life. That, that's what it's all about here. We're talking about a life. Not just about what you do to create income. We're talking about a life that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Enjoy the week. Be back next week.